You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Look out, and I see a lot of faces that I don't know. I've been going to the morning service for the last few years as my wife and I have had a child. It's just so great. It's really exciting to see all these young faces, all these young Christians. That excites me. Um, that's what I'm st- talking about today. God wants to use the least of us, the young people. Don't ever feel like God's not going to use you guys because he will. It's really exciting. You're in for a treat tonight. Get to hear Jade speak after me. She was great this morning. <laughs> and next week we get to hear, I think, Aaron and Matt. Could be wrong, but I really hope I'm right. So there we go. Firstly, I'd just like to open in a quick prayer. Lord God, I just give you this service and this sermon. If I could, I'd step off the stage and let you speak, but I just pray instead that you'd speak through me and that any words that are not of you would just fall away. In your name, Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Have you ever woken up and felt completely defeated? I know I have. Today I want to share a story that illustrates how God glorified himself through a man who faced impossible odds and definitely would have felt defeated at the task of hand. It's during these times God is able to work the most powerfully for his glory. All right, now, now's a test. Who's got a real Bible? If you do, open it up. The, the chapters we'll be reading for today. If you don't, don't stress. I'm sure your phone, you have an app, and you can get that out as well. The first verse we'll be reading from tonight is Judges 7, chapter 7, uh, verses 1 to 23. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 9. For the sake of time, I'll be paraphrasing the story of Gideon, but I really encourage you to read it when you get home. It's a really cool story. Um, Gideon was an Israelite judge. He wasn't a powerful man. He wasn't a man who was trained in leading an army. He would have called himself the least of his clan. God had called him to lead Israel out of oppression from the Midianites. This guy is just a normal guy, just like a tradie. He just, he just worked. He was the least of his clan. You can imagine getting called by God to lead an army of you know, roughly 30,000 men to defeat the Midianites, which have oppressed you for seven years. That's crazy. I mean, I can really understand how Gideon felt. He really wanted to know that it was God who was calling him. And I feel like this really identifies that he was a man. He wasn't a man that was just told once by God, all right, go and defeat these people. And this guy's like, yeah, I know, I can do this. And off he goes and does it. He, he really had to trust in God. And he, te- he tested God. I mean, God says, don't test me. But he tested God, and God in his grace allowed that because he knew that it would be used for his glory. We pick up the story from the spring of Herod. This spring, Gideon had called his men to arms, and about 30,000 men had come to his aid who were going to attack the Israelite army. I mean, sorry, the Midianite army. From this spring, you would overlook the hordes of the Midianite army. You'd be, you'd be able to see the hundreds and thousands of men And God says to Gideon, you have too many men to fight this battle. I mean, 
that's crazy already. He's already 30,000 men versus hundreds of thousands. But God says, if you, if you go to war with this 30,000 men, you will get the glory, and I won't get the glory. So Gideon, you know, faithful man, he says to the men, whoever is fearful, you can go home to your wives and children. I'm thinking that's a pretty good bet. That's a pretty good tip. So sure enough, two-thirds men, off they go, back to their wives and children, back to tending their land. Fantastic. Leaves 10,000 men for Gideon. I mean, this is, this is a pretty dire already. But God still, he says to Gideon, you still have too many men. I still won't get the glory here. And he says, I want your men to drink from the, drink from the spring of Herod. And he says, whoever drink out of their hands that show restraint and control, they will be the men that will fight for you. And whoever else drinks in any other manner, send them home to their families. So in the end, Gideon is left with 300 men. 300 men. You can imagine that day he wakes up knowing that he's about to attack hundreds of thousands of men. This is a pretty bad day. This is a pretty daunting task that's at hand for him. But God, in his grace, encourages Gideon. He says to Gideon, oh, I can see that you, you need some encouragement here. In the middle of the night, when the Midianites are asleep, just head down into their tents and I'll give you an encouragement there. So Gideon, true to listening to God again, he goes, okay, no worries. So he takes a, sh- a soldier and he sneaks down into the Midianites while they're sleeping and he overhears this conversation. And one Midianite says to the other, Oh, I've, just, I've just had this amazing dream. I've just had this dream of a, of a barley loaf rolling down the hill and it's knocked over, this, knocked over our tents. And then the other Midianite interprets the dream and says, this, is inter- this means that Gideon is going to have victory over us. And, and Gideon, he's just, he's just so excited. It, it says that he worships God on the spot in the Midianite army, so he's pretty excited. He goes back and he gets his men ready for battle. Now, this is really important. This, this references back to the 2 Corinthians passage. Gideon arms his men, not with swords. You think you're going to go into battle, you're going to be armed with swords. No. He arms them in one hand with a horn and the other hand with a torch, a burning torch that is covered by a clay jar. And he splits them up into three groups. And he says to them, we're going to go down to the Midianite army. We're going to surround them. And on my signal, I want you to copy me. Now, just a side note, I just find it really interesting as you read some stories in the Old Testament, how much some of these, these men that God uses, they, they look like Christ. I mean, Gideon, surely, surely he's going to his death here. Surely in a human way, unless God steps in, he's going to his death. 300 men, 300,000 men, it's all over. Christ went to the cross too, to die, but he rose again. And then Gideon says to his men, I want you to copy me. I want you to do what I do. That's, that's, that's how he's going to win this battle. And Christ does the same thing. We're called to follow Christ to the cross, and then we'll be raised again in Jesus. I want to read the story of the battle actually from the Bible. It's the best way of telling a story. So if you want to pick up your Bibles or your, or your phones, and we'll, re- we'll read from verses 19 to 22. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, 
when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew their ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their clay jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood in his position around the camp and watched as the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places far away. God had victory that day, and not one of the men drew a sword. Not one man of the 300 drew a sword. He had victory over the Midianites that day. To summarize, Gideon faced impossible odds, and God's victory over the Midianites was a testament to his supreme glory. Though, though Gideon was weak, God still achieved his glory. Now, if you guys want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 9, and we'll read aloud. Verse 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Notice the imagery Paul uses in these verses, the clay jars and the treasure, the power within us. Paul would have known Gideon's story really well, and so would have the Corinthians, and he uses imagery from Gideon's story to get his points across. Clay jars at that time would have been inexpensive items, and they would have been prone to breaking easily. And Paul wants his readers to know that we are weak and fragile like clay jars. He says, we'll read again, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves, we ourselves, are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And that treasure that we contain, it's Christ. It's the power of God, it's Christ. So through our weakness, it is evident that the power in our lives, it's from God and it's not from us. So I'm encouraged every day, especially on those days when I feel weakest, God wants to work powerfully in my life and in your lives and he wants us to give him the glory. Paul also gives us a great encouragement. Paul at the time when he was writing this was suffering physically, he was suffering greatly. He, he was in jail at times, he was getting beaten like Sam was saying at that time when he was writing the, these letters. And, and he gives us an encouragement even though this, this physical pain is happening to him. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. 
We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. I just think it's amazing that at that time, when this man was getting physically abused for spreading the gospel, he is writing that the power that he has to continue preaching the the gospel, to, to write these letters, to preach the good news, the power that he has to do this is God. The God that he's getting persecuted for. And he's saying that the strength that he has to continue doing this is God. It amazes me. So how do we let the power of Christ work in our lives every day? Last year in October, I was part of a Greece missions trip where we went over to be part of a building project in aid of the refugee crisis. Some of you guys went on it here. Now, how do you get a bunch of tradies in November to leave their self-managed ministers, their jobs, and go, go on a Christian mission trip? You tell them you're going to the Greek Isles. <laughs> no, nah, that's not really what happened. Um, I don't know how so many guys wanted to get together at that time of year and give up money that, like it was a self-paid trip. And yeah, the only explanation is that God was the one calling us. Now, tradies, we're very pragmatic people. We like to know when things are going to happen. We like to know thing, how things are going to happen. We want to know, Stuart, what tools are we going to need when we're over there? Stuart, what job are we going to do while we're over there? What are, no, we're excited. We, what are we going to do over there, you know? And it was pretty evident after two meetings with Stuart that this is just not how mission works in Greece. It's not Stuart's fault. It's not Hellenic Ministry's fault. It's just, it's just the way it is. And, and we just needed to trust God that he was going to use us over there. That's hard. I mean, you can just say, oh, no, you guys, you just need to trust God. I mean, people were giving up a lot here. But the truth is, God did need to get us to a place where we're like, no, nah, we're just going to go. And we're just going to trust God that he'll use us regardless of what that looks like. We had, to, we had to book tickets before we actually knew what our project was going to be over there. Actually, in fact, we were flying over there. We still didn't know what we were going to do over there. The whole trip was like that. And we did get used. Every day we got used. And God had the glory every day. It was just a great example of, like Gideon's story, where God said, no, nah, I'm going to make sure I get the glory here. I'm going to make sure that on these days when you think, there was days when I was thinking, like I'd, you know, I'd wake up in the hotel, I was rooming with my father-in-law, Graham, and we just, I remember one morning, it was this day, it was, it was, it was going to be chaos. Like there was so much to get done and I remember saying to him, he's been a supervisor for 40 years and he, he was anxious. We were anxious. We were thinking, nah, this is, this is not going to work today. We're, something's going to go wrong today. Money's going to be lost today. Um, we, and we didn't feel like we were being good Christians by praying in the mornings before work. We, we were like desperately needed to pray. Otherwise, we didn't know how we were going to get through the day. So you can imagine being on a trip where every day you were seeing God work. That's exciting, right? It's exciting to see God work every day. So coming home to my, to my job, to our jobs, to the day-to-day grind, it was, a, it was a real challenge. It was a real challenge for myself and for some, some other guys. I mean, what I really wanted to do, I just wanted to go back to Greece. I just wanted to live my every day as, as a missionary on that trip. It was so cool. 
But then I walked into this church, and if you walk down the hallway, you'll see all the pictures of the missionaries on the walls. That's really cool. It's a really cool reminder of us that these are the guys who we're out on mission. These are the guys that we're supporting. How can we support them? One, maybe financially, but two, they need prayer. And those pictures, they give us encouragement to pray for these guys. And it says a little blurb, if you guys haven't read it, read it. It says a little blurb of where each of these families are, people are, and what they're doing. And then I see this mirror, and I'm like, what, what is going on here? What do we need to check ourselves out before we come into the service? Uh, you know, like, I did that in the car. I don't need to do it on the way in. <laughs> anyway, I thought I'd better have a quick look. So I looked in the mirror, and then I noticed a little note underneath it which said that, you know, I was a missionary here. And I'm, it just... It just sort of like after the Greece trip, I'd seen it before, but it didn't really sink in because I was just looking at myself. But after the Greece trip, I actually looked at it and it made sense to me. I was like, ah, oh, like I'm a missionary here too. It doesn't matter whether I'm in Greece, where I get to see God work every day. That's cool. I'm a missionary here too. I should expect to see God work every day here too. And, and that was my challenge. And I'm just thinking, okay, all right, all right, I get it. I'm meant, to, I'm meant to experience God here every day, right? But I'm not. So what's going on? And then I started to think about it. I started to think, okay, what's the differences between being over there and being here? One thing that I really, I really knuckled down was the obstacles. So I'm living in a middle-class, upper-middle-class lifestyle here. It's quite comfortable, you know. I can't speak for everybody, but for myself, I don't have to worry that Water's going to come through the roof at night. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. Over there, I was just stuck in a room with Graham. My mother, father-in-law, that was not very comfortable. <laughs> um, the other thing was, here we have entertainment, 24-7. If I wanted to watch Conor McGregor UFC clips on YouTube, I could watch 13 hours straight. I could watch TV. There's, there's ample entertainment here. And the majority of this entertainment, that that I get drawn to, it's not of God. It's not God-focused. I think that's a big thing. Over there, we didn't have all that stuff. The other, the other really huge thing, which I've been thinking a lot about, is that we have these social and cultural pressures that cause depression, anxiety, and fear. I don't know if anyone here has ever experienced depression. But when you do, you don't feel God. You, don't, you can go through times in your life where you don't feel his presence. And that's hard. That's really hard. And I believe this can come from many different areas. We all have our own stories. We all have our own place where this comes from. And, and everyone has their own different obstacles. But I just really want to encourage you guys. I don't know if anyone here has experienced anxiety or depression, but I remember there was a time when I didn't feel God's presence. I, didn't, I was sitting there thinking, I don't know if there, there is a God. And I remember thinking to myself, I have a choice here. I, have, I ha- just have a choice whether I'm going to believe in God and, and the truth and the Bible and what this tells me, or I'm just going to trust my feelings and I'm just going to, I'm just going to walk away because I don't feel anything right now. And I, and I don't know why. It, it could have been a flick of the coin. I, I kid you not. It wasn't like God came down and said to me, Josh, you're going to believe in me. No. Like, I just literally said, well, 
seems a little bit more positive to believe in God. So I just chose God and time, years, sometimes, he brought me back to him. I just really want to encourage you guys that even with the obstacles that we face of the mind, God wants us to give them over to him and he still wants to work through us. So I would like to start each day with a prayer. You know, something along the the lines of, God, thank you for today. You know, thank you for the power that lives within me. And I pray that you'll be glorified today. Just something simple like that, that we give that day over to God every day. I believe giving our lives over to God every day is a start to an exciting day. Let's not get defeated by these obstacles. Remember Gideon and the way God used him to to, to have defeat over the Midianites and how he used a bunch of pragmatic tradies to give control over to you. Now, that's a miracle. I just want to finish with a verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. God says, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I'll just read that again. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truths. I pray that even if we're not feeling you and we're looking at that Christian next to us and we're just thinking, but I just don't feel it, that we just, that we just choose you that we just choose you today and that we choose to glorify you and that you will be the power within us. I just want to thank you for Jade as she comes up here and and speaks to us. Lift her up and just pray that you will speak to her tonight. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.